Welcome to RBC's Markets in Motion podcast, recorded November 23rd, 2023. I'm Lori Calvacina, Head of U.S. Equity Strategy at RBC Capital Markets. Please listen to the end of this podcast for important disclaimers. Today in the podcast, our initial 2024 outlook. Our year-end 2024 S&P 500 price target is 5000 for a 10% gain. Today, the podcast will work a little bit differently as we're running through the top 10 things we're thinking about in U.S. equities as the new year comes into view. Most of these focus on the math that gets us to 5000 If you'd like to hear more, here's another seven minutes. While you're waiting, a quick reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple and Spotify. Now the details. We'll start with takeaway number one. We're constructive on the year ahead with a year-end 2024 S&P 500 price target of 5000 Our 2024 target implies a gain of 10% versus the November 22nd close. Our target is quantitatively driven. 5,000 is the approximate median of five different models that we use focusing on sentiment, valuation, earnings, cross-asset dynamics, politics, and the economy. The outputs of these models range from 4,500, our bear case, to 5,300, our bull case. Moving on to takeaway number two. The sentiment setup is constructive for now. Net bullishness on the AAII survey has been the best star in the sky by which to navigate the U.S. equity market in 2023. Deep pessimism on this model was sending a strong buy signal last October and following SVB. The model turned tactically cautious in early August and was sending a buy signal again in early November. Currently, sentiment is recovering off of the one standard deviation low seen a few weeks ago, but is still in a range pointing to 10% return in the S&P 500, over the next 12 months. Moving on to takeaway number three, valuations can stay higher than many investors realize. One of the biggest things tripping up the bears in 2023 was using PE assumptions that were too low. Our model didn't fall into that trap. We use average trailing PE data going back to 1962 and use consensus forecasts for inflation, interest rates, and GDP to anticipate where that trailing PE should be at the end of the year. It's been our most constructive model in 2023, calling for the trailing PE to end this year at 21 times. For year-end 2024, the model is baking in PCE falling to 2.3%, several Fed cuts, 10-year yields falling back down to 374, and sluggish real GDP growth. All of this suggests a trailing PE of around 23 times at the end of the next year is justifiable. Moving on to takeaway number four, our earnings outlook is good enough to justify another year of gains, but also restrains our enthusiasm on 2024 performance a bit. There are no changes to our S&P 500 EPS forecasts. We're sticking with 223 for 2023 and 232 for 2024. When we use these with our valuation projections, the math argues that 4,700 is a reasonable place for the S&P 500 to end in 2023, and that 5,300 is a reasonable place for the S&P to end next year. The one wrinkle we see for the stock market from an earnings perspective is that the stock market is already baking in a strong earnings recovery in 2024. We could experience some short-term indigestion in stocks as forecasts get moved around. Moving on to takeaway number five, the greater appeal of bonds seems like a dampener of U.S. equity returns, but not necessarily a derailer of them. In our recent meetings, one of the things we've talked a lot about is how the earnings yield of the S&P 500 has been close to parity with the 10-year Treasury yield. We looked to see how the stock market tends to perform when that's the case and found that the S&P 500 tends to rise by more than 12% on average on a 12-month forward basis. 
The current readings on this indicator were actually pretty common back in the 1990s when stocks did just fine. Moving on to takeaway number six, we see the 2024 U.S. presidential election as a source of uncertainty in the year ahead. There's a lot of drama and noise around the election, and it's not clear what issues will drive turnout. We're staying focused on the numbers. On average, the S&P 500 rises about 7.5% in presidential election years, below trend and weaker than year three of the cycle, which we're exiting now. In terms of cadence, presidential election years usually have a weak start, rally into the fall, turn choppy as election day draws near, and stage a post-election rally. One notable exception was 2000, when the election was too close to call initially and the traditional post-election rally failed to materialize. We've gotten a lot of questions about the election from non-U.S. investors and worry that global investors could see the uncertainty it brings as a reason to reduce U.S. equity exposure, given expensive valuations relative to Europe. Moving on to takeaway number seven, the sluggish U.S. economy that many investors expect in 2024 and 2025 is the biggest headwind to stock market performance that we see. Current consensus projections call for 2023 real GDP growth to come in at 2.3%, then to slow to 1% in 2024 and stay below trend in 2025 at 1.8%. In the 0 to 2% range, the S&P 500 tends to be weak, with declines in the mid-single-digit range on an average basis and flat on a median basis. Offsetting this is the expectation for Fed cuts. Current consensus forecasts are calling for Fed cuts to begin in 2024. Generally, the stock market has performed well in the six-month period before and after first cuts. Moving on to takeaway number eight, the new rules of thumb for the post-COVID era are still emerging. We've argued for quite some time that 2022 and 2023 have been similar to 0203 and 2010-2011, periods of messy post-crisis normalization in which confidence has been fragile. We think we're still early in the post-COVID era, not near the end of a short-lived cycle. For this new era, investors are still figuring out what the new rules of thumb are. Consensus forecasts expect inflation and Fed funds to go back to levels typical of the 1990s, but for GDP to remain stuck at levels similar to its weakest decade, the post-GFC pre-COVID era. All of this begs the question of whether economic forecasts are simply too low. Moving on to takeaway number nine, we expect the tug of war between growth and value to continue a bit longer. Our call on the large cap growth trade is essentially that we expect a tactical correction in growth at some point, but a trigger is tough to identify and it's hard to argue it will endure. The problems we see for growth are crowding, as well as valuations that are close to peak. Earnings revision trends are also no longer favoring growth in a major way, as was the case throughout most of 2023. These data points all argue for a tactical correction in growth stocks. The problem is that economic growth is expected to stay below 2% for the next few years, and when economic growth is sluggish, growth stocks usually outperform. It may take economic growth surprising to the upside in a major way to break growth dominance on leadership. Wrapping up with takeaway number 10, small caps are intriguing in the year ahead. For the last few weeks, it seems like everyone wants to talk about small caps in our meetings we would be adding to positions heading into the new year. Small caps are deeply compelling on valuation versus large caps. Small caps have also been underowned, though positioning is starting to improve in recent weeks off of levels that were close to post-SVB lows. Small cap money flows have also been improving in recent weeks. We've been telling people for a while that small cap balance sheets aren't nearly as bad as feared and that small caps tend to outperform when the Fed starts cutting. 
No one wanted to hear it until tenure yields peaked, the unemployment rate came in higher than expected, and the latest CPI print came in better than expected. All of that finally seemed to convince investors that the Fed was done, cuts could happen, and interest rate risk was abating. That's all for now. Thanks for listening, and be sure to reach out to your RBC representative with any questions. This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation, and no recommendations are implied. It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives.